So the way I was raised, a mother who had that balance of raising me up, like I'm on, I'm, I'm the best, I'm on this pedestal, I'm this wonderful human being, but at the exact same time, allowing me to understand that I'm just one person in this big world and my role is to help people. It's not to take, it's not to be above people, to look down on people. It's to talk to everyone that they're the most amazing person. Shalom and welcome to another episode of Momish, the oi and joy of family. I'm your host, Lori Fine, here with my amazing guest to bring you laughs, stories, and a little walkaway wisdom for fellow travelers on this wild parenting ride where our community and our traditions are our greatest guide. I am super excited to be here today with Rivka Stern. Rivka is an occupational therapist with 25 years of experience and she has recently begun advising and coaching parents with her business which is called invite calm which i'm sure a lot of us would like to invite calm if not invite rifka herself into our lives and she is also the mother of six children which is phenomenal so kolakavod to you mazel tov and welcome rifka thank you so much i'm very excited to be here Really happy to have you. So first of all, tell me a little about your family. How old are your kids? How many sons? How many daughters? So I have five boys and one girl. We call her the princess. Of course. And the kids age from the youngest is turning 11 and the oldest is 21. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Is the girl the youngest? The girl's the third. Oh, so she's in the middle. Okay, okay. You, you just assumed I kept trying till I had a girl, right? No, I didn't. But, you know, we are a five all of a kind family ourselves. So I was just curious. Okay, fantastic. So I guess 21 is at least done high school, probably. Yeah. yeah. College. Perfect. Perfect. What is he studying? He's studying computer science. He's taking after his father. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, family business and yeah. something that you can get a job in. What more could you ask for? Awesome. And so who's still at home? You have four at home or three at home? You know how it is. They're all, you know, there's some at home, then they go to sleepaway camp, then they're, but I'm going to have next year two in college, one in Israel for her year, and then a high schooler at home, and then two elementary school kids at home. Okay. So, so we'll still- be half effort, I guess. <laughs> Half empty. I know it's it's so funny to me. My husband and I used to always say that when like even if we had like one kid go out a night for like a sleepover party, it was like, wow, it feels so empty here, you know, with only the six of us at home, which I always thought is such a it just really goes to show you how much each and every person adds to a household because it does does seem to, shall I say, invite more calm when even one person is missing. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So you're super busy. Have you 
Now you said you have 25 years experience as an OT. Were you working part-time or full-time or how did that work out for you? So I love the part-time model because in just so many ways, I always feel, at least for me as a mom, it always was like that perfect balance of getting me out of the house, right. doing something other than like housework, child rearing to feel like I had my own kind of career and my own stuff outside of the house. But then I was basically always there when they came home from school and I had, I seemed to get jobs with like some flexibility usually. So it was a really nice combination of really playing mommy role and also being a working mom. It was great. Beautiful. Beautiful. And is that still what you're doing now? So, yeah, I mean, I still do OT work and I also am doing work on meeting with clients and building up my business. So, you know, it is a, it is busy because I feel like I have my hand in a lot of different things right now. Sometimes I feel like I'm juggling a lot of different plates, so to speak, but it's all really fun and I really, I do love it. So, so awesome. (laughs) So I wanted to ask a little bit more just about, you know, your home life and how you manage with six kids and a job. And you said you're married, your husband's working in computer science. You know, how do you guys figure out like how to spend your time and who needs the attention? Do you have any thoughts about how, have you, have you given any sort of meta thought on how you figure all that out? So, yeah, so I would say I'm very intentional with my time. I try to be intentional in my life. So what I mean by intentional is that sort of the moves I make or the decisions to like spend my time doing one thing versus doing something else, it goes through my prefrontal cortex. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay let me think if this is something that I really want to do, not something that like emotionally it's just sending me there or like someone says I should do it, things like that. So, so it sounds like you I think through intent- things yeah. and make plans accordingly. Would you say you're like yeah, an organized I mean, planner type of person? I wouldn't say organized planner. Like if you called me organized, my whole family would probably start laughing on the floor. I think it's a more like in the moment type of really being careful if I want to do something or not do something like what I'm choosing to do also based on a little bit of how I feel at that moment or what I feel is important at that moment. So I wouldn't say that I'm a super organized person. But like I said, I'm, I am intentional. I will say no to a lot of things so that I can be able to have my time to do the things that I want to do. Does that Yeah, definitely. So can you give me a few <laughs> examples of things that you want to do and things that you would say no to? So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I don't really, I don't do too much of sort of volunteering for those extra kind of things. I don't really, even though it would be nice, go to the school or help run the book fair or things like that. 
I just feel like those kinds of are kind of extras. So I focus more on, I want to be here when my kids are at home to make sure they have someone here or someone have their dinner made or things like that, or to be with them. But then I'll also prioritize going on a bike ride or something like that, that our, our, our own health and our own self-care is so, so super important. So I would say that that is one of the things that I kind of put before other things because I realize if I feel bad physically and I feel like a rag or whatever, I'm not going to be able to take care of my family. I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do and to help other people. So I would say that in terms of my time, I do prioritize very much taking care of those self-care type of things. If, you know, if it's a nature walk, if it's a bike ride, if it's some exercise, I do prioritize those kinds of things for sure. Nice. Okay. And would you say in your family that you have threads that run through everybody's personality or would you say that everybody's very different or probably a little bit of each? I mean, how would you describe kind of what my kids would call the vibes in your household? Wow, that's that's an interesting question. The reason why it's hard to answer is because it's funny because I feel like the vibe in the house could be different than sort of like the threads and the personalities because the people who have more of the overbearing personality or wants everyone to see them, that could take over the whole vibe in the house. You know what I'm saying? When it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the thread through all the kids. Okay, fair enough. I gotta learn not to ask compound questions. So- No, that's okay. (laughs) No, no, it's like, you know, I think everyone, I think every family has, you know, how their house runs. And again, it, it's kind of like who's at home, who's not at home. But the overall feel when they're all here, as most people with like a bunch of kids, there's there's a lot of commotion and it's definitely kind of lively and rambunctious. So I would say that's kind of, you know, I would say the vibe of the house. <laughs> okay. And how do their personalities compare? Do you have some introverts and some extroverts or do they all get along with each other? Do they fight a lot? What do you think? <laughs> do you, do your kids all get along? <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because my husband and I definitely fought more with our siblings when we were younger than our kids fight with each other. I mean, they do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, you know, their personalities can are definitely... We always talk about having the odds and the evens and the odds personality are more like my husband, who's also the third in his family and the evens personality is more like me and I'm the second in my family. So somehow we've made this into like a thing in our house and even at dinner, they want to sit the odds on one side of the table and the evens on the other side of the table. It's like the evens are more extroverted. They're more easygoing. They're more just like, you know, sort of pitching or take it easy. And the odds are definitely more intense. They're a little bit more introverted and they're 
maybe a little bit more like sarcastic, if you will, or, you know, edgy or what have you. So it definitely, it's not a perfect way of looking at it. There's definitely some crossover, but yeah, they definitely have some, some traits more in common. I have the ones who are more judgmental, more definite about things. They've made a decision. That's it. And then the other ones who are like, well, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. And, you know, more exploratory, if you will. So. Right. Um, anyway. I mean, I think, you know, I think, I think they all have their personalities, their traits, things like that. And, and I think it's hard to even, I think I would say, you know, they're all, you know, friendly, outgoing types, whatever, but they all have their differences also, you know, right. Right, it's definitely of not. Can you tell them apart and in then, their baby and pictures? Along better with each other than others. And, and sometimes the ones that's like closer in age, like the two younger ones who are very close in age, they'll fight the most, right. but they'll also play together a lot. So they do, they do enjoy each other's company. I think they do do stuff together, which is nice, but, they're kids. So of course there's going to be bickering, fighting and everything in between, including physical fighting. So right. it's especially with, I think the girls, maybe it's because you're a girl expert. Maybe it's more <laughs> the drama, the emotional, the, you know, there's a lot of emotions. Like it's, yeah. It's funny because one time my husband and I were watching this like interchange between our two nieces. And they were like back and forth with the words, but you, you said, and this and that, and they were like having this like verbal fight. And we just looked at each other and laughed because we said our boys would have been like in this wrestling match right at the start of their little verbal exchange. But with the girls, it never reached that. But with our boys, the verbal doesn't go very far. It turns right into that physical you know let me get sometimes i wonder if that wouldn't be a better way of settling things i don't know it gets yeah. it over with yeah it's kind of like in the jungle the gorillas <laughs> they settle it through that fight but, and yeah. how do you feel as a parent do you feel like best to let that just play itself out do you feel like you want to intervene does it drive you nuts but you still don't want to intervene i think Parents probably, I would say, I think a lot of people intervene too quickly, you know, just in, just in general, I really think back to my father's 93 years old, God bless him. And oh, wow. he talks about his childhood where like, as a young child, he and his siblings would all go to the park, the playground, and they figured things out. There was absolutely no adult supervision, nothing. The parents were either working or home doing what they needed to do and the kids figured it out. And sometimes there was, you know, physical stuff or verbal stuff, but it, right. you know, it, it was sort of that natural process of like, we're going to work it out and we're going to, you know, figure this out ourselves. So I do have that personality that I kind of let things ride out. I mean, if it gets to the point, like someone's really gonna really get hurt 
I do intervene and, you know, sometimes I might even need like an older kid. Let's pull them apart, you know? Wow. But <laughs> no, they can get the two, you know, the, you don't have boys, like boys, right. even when they're in their twenties, boys can like wrestle and they're very physical, you know? Right. So, and, and the truth is, I think the boys also, they need that physical play. Do you know what I'm saying? I think sometimes parents are like, oh, oh no, it's bad. They're, they're attacking each other, hurting each other. And again, I'm not saying you should let your kids like draw blood, but at the same time, there is this sort of need for that rough housing, physical, there are calmer kind of like when it, when it ends, you know? So. Right. Yeah, I, I heard an interesting you know, lecture, I, maybe, I don't even remember if it was a TED talk on exactly that, that, you know, especially because one of the things the healthy adult males have, generally speaking, not always, of course, more physical strength than women or children, and they need to learn mm -hmm. what the boundaries are and what is hurting somebody too much and what is not, and it's even just knowing what your body is capable of and what it can do. It's sort of a little bit of an exploratory just from that, which I thought was sort of interesting, but I agree with you. I think yeah. that, I mean, look, girls certainly have their own nonverbal communication. It's not so much, it's not so much wrestling, <laughs> but there's definitely a lot right. of like, you know, eye rolling or like if they're being nice hugging or, you know, I don't know. They have their own things too, but yeah, yeah I agree. I think it's, I, totally think that as a rule modern parents tend to intervene more than is best for the kids and the more you can allow them to work it out on their own or require them for that matter to work it out on their own you know the more that they'll figure it out i find that a lot of people i know seem to have a and i the idea that it's not fair or like even just that there's hierarchies inside the family is like an unfair thing, you know, like why should the older kid blah, 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 win or get this first or why does, you know, well, the older kid didn't get this. So why should the younger kid that, you know, get something at that age? Just on this podcast, a lot of people have talked about what age they give the phone and the older kid got it in high school and the younger kid ended up getting it when they're 10 just because right. the way you parent differently based on yes kid you're on but exactly. i do think what you said is really you know if you want to we talk sometimes about having some walk away wisdom but if there's one thing i think people should walk away from it's intervening too much they should she should take that with them that letting the kids solve their own problems and resolve it even if it's not the way you would have resolved it presumably you like, wouldn't have used the physical means but they sometimes come up with solutions so, to their own problems that are better than what you would have suggested, you know? So I actually did just share like the little thing I, I had, I was working with a client and she, her daughter had a lot of trouble with her play dates and with her interacting with other kids and this and that. And I said, you know what? I, we talked about, we talked about just stepping back and letting things play out you know she had this urge to go in there and make things good and make things go smooth but that was actually creating more bumpiness because her involvement made it that her it kind of threw her daughter off so anyway she she said how she started just like holding herself back 
And she was like amazed. She says, you know, my daughter, I, I didn't intervene. And she just like, they worked it out and they figured things out. And then at some point, like my daughter even approached me and said, hey, mom, you know, like I wanted to do this game and she wants to do that. Can you help us? And I said, how much better is that, that she came to that realization on her own? Like she processed, you know what? I could use a little, we could use a little bit of help, but that's so much more powerful and so much more beneficial for the child than if mom just like went in and started like trying to orchestrate. So I thought that was like a nice example of learning to kind of hold back and, and letting kids work things out on their own. I think that's so important, really important. What was your household like growing up? Did you have a large family? Did you expect to have a large family when you got married? I had, I had two older brothers, so I'm the youngest and the only girl. So I definitely got a lot of attention. Okay. Uh, And one of my brothers is much, much older than me. He's 11 years older. So it was kind of like, I sort of grew up more like with one sibling, you know, so like the interaction playing, the fighting, all that stuff was really me and my brother who's four years older because the one who's 11 years older was practically out of the, heading out of the house, whatever. But uh, it's interesting when you say about like my personal like upbringing is that part of the, the work I'm doing and the way that I deal with my kids is really thanks to my mother who was just, she was just like, my mother passed away about four years ago, but just the kindest, like person you'd ever meet. So the way I was raised, and you know, of course, my father also, but specifically, you know, a mother who had that balance of raising me up, like I'm on I'm, I'm the best I'm on this pedestal, I'm this wonderful human being. But at the exact same time, allowing me to understand that I'm just one person in this big world. And my role is to help people. It's not to take, it's not to be above people, to look down on people. It's to talk to everyone that they're the most amazing person, but it's, it's a delicate balance. And she was really able to do that with her children, which I think is so incredibly difficult. It's a very hard balance. You know what I mean? To to to, right. to raise your child up, but at the same time, show them they're not above anyone else in the world. And it doesn't matter if it's the, you know, wealthy, you know, whoever, or if it's the janitor, you are, every single person deserves our respect and our friendliness. And so it was a huge, huge, it really impacted me the way I was raised, I would say. Beautiful. Well, that's a beautiful tribute to your mom. And I don't know, personally, I feel like that's a very central Jewish value that, you know, you're, you're balancing it between, on the one hand, we learn, you know, the whole world was created for each individual. And on the other Mm -hmm. hand, you know, each individual is just one small part of the world and that you were created to help the world. So, you know, I think that Judaism brings down both of those lessons. And, and I think that that's a wonderful thing that your mom was able to convey that to you. 
Yes. And it's, it's such a wonderful, like you brought that up in Judaism, that it is, that is something that Judaism, Judaism helps you get that balance. But I really feel like in the greater society right now, a lot of kids I feel are held up on these pedestals and they, you know, the parents are trying to pave this golden road and this smooth road and, you know, they're, they're up here, but what about contributing to the world? What about this idea of like giving, giving, giving? I just, I think that's one of the things in society right now that I think is lacking with the uh, child rearing. That is a huge piece I feel that is real, really lacking. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. I mean, I think you brought up two, I think of them as two different issues. I don't know if you think of them as the same thing maybe, but one thing that you talked about was sort of this fragility, right? That parents feel like they have to give their children this smooth path. And yeah. certainly you can't miss in today's culture that children are being raised to be more anxious, more fragile, more sensitive. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing this huge explosion of, you know, mental health issues. And yeah. I think there could be a lot of factors in that, but what you said, as far as, you know, trying to solve every problem for your kid before they get the chance to try to solve it themselves, I think is a definite factor and makes children ha I think that you really, it's hard to learn anything without doing it, right? I mean, all learning ultimately right. is self-learning. Like you have to apply yourself, right. you have to wanna learn it. It's not a passive experience. And the more right. that you get a chance to do it, whether it's solving the fight with your sibling or your playmate, or whether it's cooking dinner or cutting a cucumber up or whatever it is, cleaning up your own mess, until you actually do it, you don't really know how to do it. And you, you know, it's just theoretical right. until then. And I think that the more kids get to experience things and do it for themselves, the better they're, the less fragile they become. The other thing that you talk about in terms of yeah. giving back, so important and again you have all these mental health problems but we know from so much overwhelming evidence that the best path to mental health is feeling like you are capable of making a meaningful contribution to the world right i mean the, yes what mm -hmm. does it take to be a healthy mentally healthy person is feeling like you have something to contribute and that you're in a position to be able to do that. So, yeah. Do you have any examples from your own kids that you would say you had a moment where you were able to teach some of those lessons? So I think when you have elderly parents, it's very built in, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess I would say. You know, unfortunately, because it means that they don't get to have their grandparents for as many years as maybe other, some grandchildren get to experience their grandparents. But when, you know, the the way they are with their elderly grandfather, you know, I, I don't have to tell them as much as I used to, like, why don't you go for a walk with pop-up or why don't you help? They've 
from watching and learning and observing, it's very nice to see that they've sort of internalized this kind of like respect for your elders and that they're more intuitive to want to help, you know, to want to offer. And you can see actually that it, it makes them feel good also, you know, so they definitely kind of, get the opportunity to do those kinds of things on a regular basis. And the hope is that also is that when they learn from that, that they carry that out to other places, hopefully offering to help an elderly person in a store or that, that type of mindset of like, what can I do to help another, another person? So So, you, you hadn't um, mentioned before do your do your parents live with you or do they live nearby how do they have so much contact with them so about i would say about 12 years ago my parents moved from maryland where i grew up and they moved to teaneck and so it's been wonderful they've lived in the same town so we've had tons of interactions obviously and then you know my mom passing away about four years ago. And again, to experience seeing my mom on hospice, seeing all all those kinds of things that children don't, aren't always exposed to, I think was very healthy for them to be able to, you can be really honest with even little kids to see what life is really like and how life at the end looks. And It was a very powerful experience for my kids. And my father still lives in Teaneck alone in an apartment. And thank God he's 93 and he he has a 97-year-old girlfriend. So cute. I know. So he finally decided to date an old, what's that? (laughs) He says, I'm going for the older woman. Right, exactly. (laughs) He's looking for an older woman. That's so cute. Uh, Yeah, so we we do a lot with him he he comes he comes over a lot he sometimes will stay the weekend with us we're very very involved in helping him and it's great it's really oh, nice so that's so nice i mean i think that adds yeah. so much when you have an intergenerational element yeah. to your household i think it's not definitely it's not all that common but when my kids were little it's a funny thing so when Shortly before my last daughter was born, when I was pregnant with her, my grandmother, who was 90 years old at the time, lost her second husband. And they had run a store together, and my grandfather died when I was very young. So she had been with this person for a long time, and they had to run a store together, and they she didn't want to live alone and run it anymore, so she shut that down. So her life had changed dramatically. And that was a couple months before while I was expecting. And then right after I had the baby, she came up to visit and we were having a birthday party for my other older daughter. And she got to hold the baby a lot. And she even said to my sister and I, she's like, wow, it's really like the first time we've had like a little baby in the family. And we were just like, we just laughed because we're like, well, where do you think we got all these other kids? You know, she was like the last of the line. Right. You know, So anyway, so she decided that she was staying and she was like, I think I'll live here. We're like, okay. And she stayed.
stayed and lived with us for about three years and it was so great for the kids and you know my youngest and she used to say they were best friends and they'd go on little walks or she I mean we have a million stories of let's say minor mishaps you know when she thought she was watching the kid and maybe the kid had emptied all the water out of the toilet or maybe she was wearing her diapers you know details details but it was quite a, a lovely and it was also a wonderful experience for my older kids too to be able to have that interaction and and be with someone and I, yeah. I think it was also good for my grandma in her 90s to have something purposeful to do so it is a wonderful yeah, thing if you can sure. incorporate that in your life yeah definitely wonderful so you said that you recently made this choice to start advising other parents and and to create a business where you're doing coaching and advising what are the kinds of problems that people tend to come to you with so it's basically been kids who okay the only reason that people reach out for help is when the problem is big enough that they're like oh my gosh i have to do something about this right so it's so it you it usually revolves around problematic behavior, I would say. Behavior that the parents find very annoying, very difficult to deal with. And also just kind of wondering, like, is my kid normal? And what's going on? Like, why does my kid have all these tantrums? Or why does my kid... I had a client whose daughter would change out of her clothes like 50 times before school. So I think it's a combination of no, it wasn't, but it was, I think it's a combination of the parents being like at their wits end. And then also kind of like, well, is my kid okay? Like, why do they do these weird things with that kid in particular? The school was saying, Oh, you have to take her to OT. She probably has, you know, sensory sensitivities to the clothing, but from working with me and working with the family, we figured out it was more a matter of control. The daughter wanted control and attention. So we kind of figured that out. And then when we shifted how the parents dealt with the child, we created a different kind of environment for the child. The problem actually basically went away so I would say you know it's a lot of those behavior yeah yeah what do you mean by create a different environment for the child I mean presumably they're still living in their same home yep so you can have a physical environment right like you're not going to change the the house but what we can do as parents is we can change how the child's day goes so for example this child would hoard candy that was one of the problems that the parents had with her is like she would hoard candy she would collect it and hoard it and she'd have these huge stashes of candy and that just didn't was not a good fit for like the family for the parents so just one example might have liked it yeah, for sure. Lots of lots of business. 
But uh, so like, like one of the things we did was like, you know, like collecting, like collecting little tchotchke things they got on like Rhode Island Novelty or something like that. So just as like an example, we're replacing this kind of thing with something else so she could collect, whether it was like she had a need to sort of collect things to feel like it's her own. So to help the parents, well, what's something that she could collect and feel like she has her stash that's not candy. And then also just like things like at the end of her day, when she would come home from school, the kids all like, you know, being around her, especially her younger siblings, who she may have been a little jealous of. So we came up with like, mom leaves the younger kids with the babysitter a little bit and they had they would go on like sometimes like a nature walk or this alone time and that sort of again helped to address these underlying issues that this child had you know we came up with some other stuff like oh she's gonna bake her own she was only five years old but she's gonna bake her own duncan heinz cake so like they would put stuff out on the counter so she could make a mess and it was just coming up with the family with ways. So when I say change the environment, I don't mean change the environment, the physical environment. I mean, what kind of changes can we implement? What kind of things can we do to change how this child's day is going, how the child is interacting with other things, people and things in her environment, I would sure. say. So it if sounds like you. <laughs> you had a, a a young child who mm -hmm. had who felt like she wasn't getting enough attention from her parents, who felt yep. like she yep. wasn't having her needs met, perhaps, and she was trying to take these other actions to kind of regain control or see what she could control, since she couldn't control the thing that was actually important to her namely being able to spend time and get attention from the people she loved and so by exactly. okay well that's exactly and one one other thing i'll just add which i think is really important and believe me i'm guilty of this as well but related to this child something very important to tell the listeners is that mom felt like she gave the child a lot of attention but when she when the mom kind of stepped back she was like yeah, maybe like, maybe I was looking at my phone when she was asking me to watch her on the swing, or maybe I was, you know, dealing with the younger kids and she's asking me to look at her. So when she reflected on that and she became aware and she became like, oh, you know, my daughter is on the swing now. I'm going to give her my undivided attention right now because that's what she needs so badly she always thought she was giving a lot of attention but she didn't realize that it wasn't the full attention that this little child really really desired so and again i'm i'm guilty pulling out the phone when i'm with my kids and all that but i think it's something as parents that it's really important to be aware of because it does send a message to our child when we're with them and we're looking at our phone and we're checking our messages it does set a bad example, first of all, in terms of like, you know, being on the phone too much, but it also sends a little message of like, this is more important to me right now than our special time together. So it's, it's one of those, you know, 
you know, daggers that's kind of the phone kind of brings out, like, you know, it has positives, but there's definitely those right. negatives also. I mean, look, the phones are an addiction for everybody at every age, and they're literally yep. designed to keep you on, oh, totally. you know, to grab your attention as much as you can and distract you. That's the point of them. Yeah. So mm -hmm. not surprising that we adults do it as well. But I think, you know, you bring up yeah. something that I've noticed that I think, I think it took me a while to learn that lesson which is that the little details can really matter. And sometimes Definitely. kids are extremely observant and they are noticing, I mean, look, their job as a kid is to sort of learn how to be in the world, right? To learn how to be an adult. And they are really, really good at, at noticing these very fine distinctions and these you know, exactly where your eyes are pointing and what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. And they're wired to be that way, I think. And it yeah. often something, I mean, I think that's a great lesson, you know, that sometimes it's a small thing or it seems like a small thing, let's say, but it can make a night and day difference to your kids. I actually find that kind of a comforting thought because if you can do something that's relatively small change, but it can actually make a big impact on the way your kid feels or the way they grow or interact or what they learn out of it, I feel like, wow, that's that that's awesome that you can have such a big impact with such a small ask, you know? Right. And also another lesson kind of built in is the awareness piece how important it is in life in general but especially with parenting how important it is to sort of have that awareness because the mom didn't have the awareness and once she got it it made such a difference in their relationship and and with this child right well if you were going to advise our listeners you know i think a lot of people i mean myself included for sure if the child has some behaviors that perhaps are, like you said, annoying or pain in the neck, but they're not really clearly problematic, you know, you don't know always whether it's something that's a passing fancy or a personality quirk or a stage versus right. something that requires more attention. Do you have any guidance or advice for parents as far as how do you make that decision when it's time to intervene? I mean, I have a kid who has, you know, had some more tantrums than she should have at a later age. And ultimately we figured out that she really had some more anxiety than we really were recognizing and did yeah. get some help and what have you. But it, is something that sometimes when it's on the edge there, it's hard to know. So what would you, what would you tell that's, people? That's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a sort of tricky, that's a really tricky, tricky question. And it's, I think it's a lot of different things. I think it's partially your sort of parental intuition of when you're like, you know what, this is something that, really might need some outside support professional you know in terms of reaching out to a professional 
So I think, you know, I think it's a combination and I, I, I think different parents have, you know, different tolerance for different things. So I think that intuition and mixed with, you know, yeah. Do you think that when you say different parents have different tolerance, do you think the parents tolerance or emotional approach to it is a good gauge? Is that something to that? that matters or is that something that we should be like, get out of your emotions, get into your head, whatever. Well, I, I think it matters in the sense of maybe a, a parent may need, one parent may need more help in terms of dealing with their own reactions to their child and their own responses to the child because many children do what's called co-regulation. So co-regulation is when the child is having a hard time and they are coming up against that mirror of the parent and the parent is calm and regulated and can get help the get the child through the situation that child is going to learn emotional regulation through the parent and they are going to start becoming more emotionally mature because they have that role model so if there is a parent who cannot tolerate and gets very upset and gets very triggered and starts to respond in a reactive, very emotional way, that is ultimately not the good for the child because it doesn't help the child learn what emotional regulation and learn the appropriate way to calm themselves down. So. Yes, I would say if a parent gets very easily triggered by their child's behavior or their meltdowns or things like that, it's in the best interest of the parent and the best interest of the child to reach out for help to learn how to keep their self, themselves regulated and how to not respond in such an emotional, reactive type of way. It just creates you know, a much better relationship between the parent and the child and a much better feeling within the household in general. But that's not a specific thing about the child needing support and help. That is a situation that a parent may need the support and the help in order to help the child. The parent reaches out and gets that support. Interesting. So you know, I think that there's like a, an expression, you know, no bad kids, just bad parents, people say, or like that the it's kids not, are not, not it's, about, it's a matter of bad, but, but more like, you know, it's the people in relationship is the issue, not necessarily particular behaviors. Is that what you're? So again, I don't, I don't want anyone, I don't, there should be no parent shame or parents do this or guilt. And we're all have to be like super kind to ourselves and never right. like, oh, we're bad or we caused X, Y, and Z. It's not a matter of that. It's, it's more of, again, my belief and I'm not, of course, this is not across the board with every situation. There's always different kinds of situations, but I do believe that in many situations, 
that when children are having the behavior outbursts, there are things that we can do as parents. It doesn't mean we have to be better people, better parents, but we can, like I said, we can set things up for the children in better ways. But a lot of us don't even know what those ways are. So it's really mm -hmm. more about becoming knowledgeable in certain things that we're not knowledgeable in or getting information to be able to help us. But it's, I never want anyone to feel like bad parenting, bad kids. It, it's not like that. It's more, well, how can we support the child? Oh, I don't really know. Let me get more information. Let me get more support for myself. And then I'm able to help my child to be able to help themselves kind of thing. Right. I mean, so, it's hard to step outside I, yourself sometimes and see what you're doing. And it's also sometimes I think hard to step outside the way you were raised. I mean, a lot of couples I know, especially if they were raised somewhat differently, one with more strict discipline and maybe one with less strict yeah. discipline, yeah. You know, it can be a definite you know, interaction that could be difficult and it might be hard for the kids to navigate also, you know, which way to be. Yeah. And that's one thing that you see all the time is that like kids will act differently to different parents because of how they notice the response they get from the different parents. Okay. Yeah. I think that that, that makes a lot of sense. Like the, when you use the word triggered, like the, the parent being triggered, the parent being reactive, it becomes like a cycle. And I think one thing that I noticed having, I think having had more children was helpful to me because I sort of started to see what was in the personality of the child and what was different between children and maybe was due to the way I was treating certain things and could be more cognizant and more, like you said, reflective and intentional about how you're acting in certain situations. Cool. Yeah. So do you guys have any exciting adventures that you had as a result of having such a large family? Do you all fit in one car? <laughs> we do. When, yeah, when we, when we, yeah, we upgraded from our seven seater van to our eight seater van when <laughs> we found, yeah, there's always adventures. So I'll tell you a few, but like one story was we went, we went bowling and again, like our lives are just very chaotic and we're driving home and we're almost at home and I see like my four-year-old son or something is wearing like bowling shoes, you know? It's oh. kind of like, that's <laughs> forgot because there's like chaos. And I just, it was like that funny moment of like, oh, this is just like my life. Like my kid has his bowling shoes on and now we have to like drive back to the bowling alley and give those back and get his. And uh, there's always, you know, there's just, always kind of stuff like that very cute yeah yeah <laughs> i have definitely forgotten the uh, the ballet shoes or whatever it was the sneakers many times so let me ask you turning to a different direction how do you feel or do you feel that your jewish practice influences your parenting like do you feel that it makes it harder makes it easier is there certain things about your Jewish practice that enhances your parenting, what would you say there? I definitely think it enhances it. A lot of times on weeknights, it's hard to get people for a sit down meal. I grew up in a house where my dad 
always came home earlier in the day. So it was always the whole family would sit down and have this nice evening dinner together. And I, I know other families I'm sure do that. But for us, I feel like that definitely is something I feel that's kind of lacking. So I think when you are practicing Jew, you have built in this Friday night dinner and then, you know, Shabbat, Saturday lunch, where you, it doesn't matter how chaotic things are or who's doing what, you sit down together as a family, you enjoy a meal together. So I definitely think that's one of the things in Judaism and then, of course, the turning off electronics, you know, right. for the whole 20 hours is just such a beautiful thing. And, and I feel like even like sometimes like on Shabbat morning, Saturday mornings, when my younger ones don't have electronics, sometimes they'll sort of go into that more fighting mode or I don't know what to do because they're feeling like I don't have my electronics. I don't have my games. I don't have this. But as the day progresses, they somehow figure out, let's take out this toy, let's bring out this game. So I do think that is kind of one of our like superpowers in our parenting toolbox as Orthodox Jews or Jews that observe the Sabbath. It definitely creates that sort of old fashioned family time, you know, play time that I think the broader society, I, I know they even like, they even tried, I think I've even heard of like non-Jewish people saying like, oh, we have our Sabbath, we have our non-electronics day, but I just think it's so much harder to carry that out when it's not an actual rule, when it's more of like, oh, we're going to have our non-electronics day that I think that's very hard to carry out when it's not such a specific you know, yeah, it's no, hard no. when it's when it's a decision that the parents made by themselves for their own reasons yeah. versus something that is a traditional practice that other people are observing at the yeah. same time and it, that you have kind of community support for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Okay. Well, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything yeah. else that you would want to say that you would advise parents if they're trying to get a little you know advice and support from from someone who's six kids and worked with a million kids over the 25 year practice what i would say for parents is to get really really good at gratitude if we are good at gratitude we will just naturally know how to deal with our kids so much better. We will just naturally be that parent that comes from a place of kindness and empathy because we're just so grateful for what we have, for having our children, even with all their imperfections. I think gratitude allows us to not focus so much on the negative pieces of our kids and really move over to that positive side where we can see even when they have you know their negative qualities they can even turn into you know that in the future they're going to turn into positive traits so i would say kind of really foster 
that kind of thing, I would say fostering gratitude and fostering curiosity are the two things that parents, they makes parenting so much more enjoyable when we are curious about why our kid is acting a certain way. We're not judging what that they're acting that way. Again, we come at them from a place of kindness and empathy. And those are the things that are gonna build the relationship, the wonderful relationship with our children as they get older, as they head into those you know, teenage years, which could be difficult. If we've raised them with kindness and empathy, those teenage years will be hopefully easier. <laughs> Can't make any promises, but that's, you know, that's the goal. Right. So right. it was really wonderful talking to you. Great conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think yeah. that that was an amazing place to stop. I mean, if you have gratitude and you, demonstrate that to your kids and if you're like you said curious about why people are behaving the way they are rather than just reacting to it then i think yeah. it, i i could not agree more you said it so well you really said it so well well and i hope everyone has enjoyed this episode of momish it is great to hear from you and to hear about another big Jewish family and how you're navigating the same issues that all of us are navigating and doing it so well and even able to take your experience and learn from it and pass it on to others so that they can improve their own family life. There is mamish nothing like it. Thank you so much, Rivka. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, if you want to hear more momish then please like this episode share with your friends rate us give us a comment you can email directly at lunchbox at momish.com that's lunchbox at m-o-m-m-a-s-h.com we really look forward to hearing from you and have a great week bye-bye